Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Kung Hei Fat Choi and a Happy New Year of the Ox. This weekend's historic tale is one of narcotics, subterfuge and, at the time, the biggest attempt to smuggle heroin overseas that Hong Kong had seen. In 1988, a Filipino drug smuggler in cohorts with a 14K triad syndicate in Hong Kong and another in Australia attempted to sail a yacht to Hong Kong, pick up 43 kilograms of heroin here with the aim of smuggling them to Australia. But the Canadian skipper who was hired was suspicious. When the yacht arrived in Hong Kong, the Filipino crew were let go because Roberto Baptista, the drug smuggler, felt that a European crew would be less conspicuous sailing into Australia. That was a spot of luck for the Royal Hong Kong Police, who found three men and one woman with sailing knowledge in the force to go on board the yacht as an undercover crew. Heading them up was then Chief Inspector Rod Mason, who's written a book about the operation called Operation Clinker, Heroin Smuggling. 32 years on from that operation, I talked to him at his home in Scotland and to his then crewmate Bill Rennick, who lives in England. I had only transferred to Narcotics Bureau in around March 1988. Between then and this case, which happened in the August-September, I'd been involved in a number of different things. The section that I worked in was dealing with psychotropic substances and export to Europe. So we were keeping fairly busy. Narcotics Bureau... It sort of sounds funny now, but in those days, we were only really looking at cases of quantities of over a kilo. Anything below a kilo was being dealt with by different regional or district units, whereas Narcotics Bureau was the headquarters unit. So we were really interested in the big cases. I had been involved as an officer in charge of a case called Operation Bamboo Dragon, which was using an FBI ethnic Chinese undercover officer. Uh, that was in around March, April 1988. This Chinese officer came to Hong Kong to try and set up a purchase of drugs. And that involved me getting multiple rooms in the Holiday Inn on the Golden Mile. And we set up one room with TV and audio, and we had a control room. And he had people that wanted to sell him drugs coming in. And then each time there was an agreement and a handover was made, we would swoop in and arrest them. So ended up getting about 28 kilos of pure heroin and arrested about 11 people. But the reason I mention that, Anne-Marie, is because I guess there was about 20 hours of video recording of watching this officer and how he behaved. And I think that was relevant to my role later when I was doing an undercover, because at least I'd, I'd been able to see, if you like, an expert at work. And it, it was just incredibly useful to me. There were a lot of other smaller cases where I did undercover stuff, you know, in Wan Chai, in bars, if there was some punter trying to sell drugs. But that tended to be fairly low level. To be honest with you, for a European officer, you weren't really involved in anything else. An undercover of a major supply syndicate really had to be undertaken by a local Chinese officer who could not only speak the language but fit in.
So this case, Clinker, was the first time that the most appropriate officer to be involved undercover was European. So you had a man and a yacht, though this is later in 1988, and the the case became a record attempt to export heroin from Hong Kong to Australia. The yacht had been purchased in the Philippines specifically for the role and sailed to Hong Kong to take something undisclosed to Australia. But already that act in itself was suspicious because if they only wanted to go to Australia, it's a far shorter journey to go direct from the Philippines. So the fact that they were coming to Hong Kong and loading something unknown had us thinking, oh, okay, right, this might be quite tasty. So how did you first hear about it? Well, we were very fortunate. The skipper of the yacht got in touch with the Australian Federal Police at the consulate in Manila and told them, look, I've been asked to sail a yacht to Australia. I don't know what's going to be on board, but I'm suspicious. And I've got to go to Hong Kong first. So they said, all right, we'll put you in touch with the Australian Federal Police in Hong Kong. Uh, Make sure you don't do anything naughty and get in touch with them as soon as you arrive. So we got a two to three week warning that a yacht was coming. And so we started trying to put together how we would deal with it. Initially, it was limited to, well, we'll just put surveillance on it and prevent it from leaving Hong Kong waters. So where did it park up in Hong Kong? When, when it arrived, they went to the Royal Hong Kong Yacht Club and they were there for about just over a week, nearly 10 days. And then they moved down to the Aberdeen Marina because they needed some work done on the engines and that was going to be done by a yacht engineering company from Apley Chow. But by then, I'd already been recruited as the crew. They put out an advertisement to recruit a crew and they wanted a European crew because they thought that would be less suspicious to Australian customs and immigration when we arrived in Australia. So this was a smuggling gang? Yes. Essentially, the principal who was on board was a Filipino, and he had heard a story about somebody that had done something very similar and successfully and made a lot of money. So he was effectively copying something that had as far as he knew, previously worked. Because I think it's quite extraordinary using a yacht. I mean, you know, that you can use... You know, was it the idea that that you could sort of slip in from the Philippines to Hong Kong, pick up the load, head on down to Australia? You need... I mean, but there's so many aspects to that. Of course, yes, you could just park up in Australia and perhaps it's easier to get the kit in than it would be by air, but you're still involving a number of unknown people on your yacht. Absolutely true. And um, that was part of the challenge that we faced to convince uh, the principal that, you know, we would fit in with his plan. And I was I was very fortunate because he had a skipper for the yacht. And when I went for interview to become part of the crew, I was able to give him all of my Merchant Navy qualifications, not only as a navigator, but also doing things like an efficient deck and a lifeboatman, first aid at sea, all that sort of stuff. And you could almost see the, the cogs turning in his head when he realized, well, if something happens to the skipper, this guy can take over and we'll still be able to get the yacht 
to Australia. And hey, bingo, that's when the money comes in. So you had your sailing credentials? I did. Um, my qualifications were related to actually sailing tankers for Shell. But as part of my training at Glasgow Nautical College, we went out to Loch Lomond in, in November, I think it was, <laughs> and went dinghy sailing. And part of that was to do capsize drills. And we didn't have wetsuits in those days. If you capsized in Loch Lomond in November, you were pretty keen to get the boat back upright and out of the water. So you do training in Loch Lomond, uh, and uh, now you're about to sail on a drug-laden yacht down to Australia. So you've got longer hair, you've got the sailing experience, but as you put yourself forward for that crew, do you remember how you felt? Yeah, there was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of anticipation. In undercover cases, uh, as I say, it mainly been Chinese officers involved. And I was delighted to have the, the skills that were necessary for this particular case. And so really hoping it was going to turn out to be a really worthwhile case to just be trusted, to it didn't it wasn't an overnight thing i'd had um, nearly well since about the middle of august until the first week of september working on a pretty much daily basis fulfilling this role um that i was a merchant navy officer on leave i had about four months between my last trip and my next trip and so you know wanted to enjoy myself a bit and sailing a yacht to australia was exactly the sort of thing i wanted to do now the yacht was called we can you describe it yes it was a catch which means it has two masts a main mast and a smaller mast towards the aft end it was 45 foot long it had sufficient accommodation to sleep about six or seven people. We had electronic navigation aids, a sat-nav, there was a stereo, which was great because we were able to play CDs. Of? Lots of different things. I think the first CD we put on when we finally uh, pulled up the anchor in Stanley Bay and were heading for Australia was I Am Sailing by Rod Stewart. Oh, really? Basically, we're in September 1988. Now, when do you discover, I mean, that what's aboard and when was that delivery made? Well, the crew had been told to go and have a, uh, a last night in town before we set off. So we were aware that we were going to be setting off the next day, which we thought, OK, something's happening. And we had covert surveillance watching the yacht. They saw the principal go into town and he was followed and he was picked up in a white BMW with two men inside the car and they were watched returning to Stanley. They were then taken out to the yacht, which was at anchor in Stanley Bay, just off St. Stephen's Beach. Second Chinese male who'd previously not surfaced, who was a fairly fit young man, had a big heavy bag with him and there was then a lot of activity between sort of 3 a.m. and dawn on board the yacht. So were you all so, watching in night vision goggles or something? Well, I wasn't personally, but the, the Narcotics Bureau surveillance crew were. Yes, they had static observation and also on the road. So they were taking notes of the registration numbers of every vehicle that came anywhere near. Because the surveillance had only had glimpses of who might be the supply syndicate. 
And, of course, the aim of the operation was not just to stop the boat and get the drugs, but to catch the people that had supplied the drugs. Yeah, it was a huge uh, operation, really, because, as you say, the, the yacht has come out of the Philippines. The principal is uh, a Filipino, come into Hong Kong. You're there to board, and we'll talk about uh, the other members of the crew in a moment. But, uh, you know, this is going to be 43 kilograms of heroin that's going to be hidden in the freshwater tanks of this yacht called the Wee, so like a French yes. And you're about to enter into that the following morning. But were you scared as well? Yes, I would be a liar to pretend we weren't. I think our main fear was that we would do something wrong and blow the case. And then, of course, become the laughing stock and the butt of every joke. So, yes, there was a real fear of that. But, of course, at that point, even when we set sail, we didn't know what quantity of drugs might be aboard. We only suspected that it would be... If somebody was going to try and smuggle by air, it might be one to two kilograms, whether packed around their body or in a suitcase. But we thought if they were going to the trouble of a whole yacht, which they'd purchase specifically for this case, that the quantity might be more significant. And in fact, jumping ahead a little bit, when we did take enforcement action and start the search, there were two freshwater tanks. And we opened the port side first, and there was only a little amount of drugs, perhaps one to two kilos. And that elicited enormous disappointment. We thought, oh, no, we've done all this, and that's it. And then, of course, we opened the starboard tank, and it was packed to the brim. Interesting how they'd uh, packed that. But as you say, it, it will be intercepted, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Um, but the, the, the fact is that you've got this yacht. It's about to set sail from Hong Kong down to Australia. So it does become this operation of multi-jurisdictions because it's both Hong Kong and Australia who are now going to be active in this. So you don't want to just snag the people on board, but also uh, the entire operation, both uh, here and in Australia. But so was this triad? Evidently, they were one of the members. In fact, the, if you like, the drug bodyguard who only appeared on that final morning he was the guy carrying the bag and he had not surfaced previously but he'd been brought in because he was a bit of a martial arts expert and i think the suppliers had insisted that he come along to guard the drugs which of course presented a problem for us because um, we didn't know really very much about him how good he was how strong he was and to what level his uh, defense of the drugs would be. So myself and one of the other undercovers sat down and tried to do a risk assessment of what we would do and how we would overpower him, which yeah. included in consideration of pushing him over the side. Yeah, fair enough. Describe this crew to me. So you, you've um, said that the actual boat or the yacht itself could take six to seven people. So what was the makeup of the crew? How, I mean, how many were undercover and how many were involved in the, the drug smuggling and how many were just crew who just were innocently aboard? There were only two people on the yacht when it arrived in Hong Kong, the skipper and the principal, who was the Filipino male. And they then advertised in the South China Morning Post for a European crew to sail to Australia. 
they didn't promise anything more than a flight back to Hong Kong afterwards and a small cash bonus. We then decided that we really wanted to make the crew entirely police undercover because we didn't want innocent civilians involved. If we were going to have to take enforcement action and there was going to be a scrap or a punch up, we didn't want innocent people involved. So we tried to choose three people to supplement myself who would be selected, one of whom was the last European female officer to join the police force, a young lady called Debbie. And she was delighted to be involved. We also had a mate of mine who had sailing experience, a lad called Bill, who played for the police first 15 at rugby, was in the Hong Kong Colony Squad, big six foot two lad, and just the sort of guy you wanted on your side if it did come to throwing punches. And so we were then left with one person and there was another European officer in Narcotics Bureau, a lad called Nick, who didn't really have much experience on sailing, but we felt that we would be able to convince the principal that he was worthwhile if he had a good cover story. He said he'd come to Hong Kong looking for a job, couldn't afford it and had to get out. So they were persuaded to hire all four of us, which kept it very much under our control and it meant that if things went wrong there were four of us against two of them so what's happened to your triad in 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 enforcer guy he was completely unknown until the morning that they came back to load the heavy bag on board and that was the first time he showed up and he then stayed on the boat with the drugs and so bill and i then sat down and tried to work out what we were going to do I knew Rod through rugby and he was looking for people who had some kind of sailing knowledge. I used to race out in Hong Kong, as he mentions the book, my parents had a boat which um, we, we used to race as well um, quite regularly. So I think he thought, oh right, he's got some, he's got some sailing knowledge, he'll be able to fill the role uh, as the, that we were looking for for the undercover. Of course I had to sort of get into the character and grow a beard and uh, walk around in scruffy clothes for a while and um, start to build that uh, story of being a, um, a, a traveller and a, a, and a bit of a boat bum who basically was stopping by Hong Kong to see my parents and do a bit of sailing. So. Yeah, so you're going to be part of the crew that's going to be on the Wii. I think at the time Rod sort of, yeah, he told me a bit about it, but it was very much uh, just as much as I needed to know. So there were a lot of things. It was quite interesting reading his book. There are a lot of things that I, even at the time being involved in the operation, didn't really know what was going on. Um, it was very much, this is this is your bit, this is what you need to do. And um, that was as much as I needed to know, really. And that was my first exposure to this sort of world of undercover. So then, yeah, we had the meeting with Roberto and we all sort of staged to arrive at different times and we all had our kind of cover stories. And we sort of choreographed the conversation to a degree uh, and that all, all went as planned, all worked well, because obviously people like, uh, I mean, Nick was in the same squad at training school as me, so we knew each other very well. So we couldn't give any, you know, it's very easy just to slip up and... Mm go into a way of behaving which gives uh, an outside observer an indication that you know each other and so we've been very careful about that and that was quite tense making sure we didn't slip up 
but yeah, I think once we got onto the boat, we were then slight sense of relief that we we'd got through that bit, and there were no last minute uh, suspicions aroused or anything that was was going to cause them to pull out of the operation. So once we we're underway, there was a, uh, I think a really good feeling there. Getting out on the boat, I can remember heading off down southeast corner of Hong Kong Island, sort of heading out to sea. I actually I vaguely remember it. it the, the weather sort of started to turn a little bit, and um, it's starting to rain then it started getting dark and i remember a little bit of rod and i looking at each other nervously because we we just had no sign of the narcotics bureau launch at that point you're heading out of stanley bay so what happened next part of our plan was to convince anybody who remained in hong kong that the yacht had sailed so we had to wait until we believed we were out of the sight of any land-based observers. And we also tried to manipulate things so that we set sail just before twilight. We were hoping that darkness would be our friend and disguise anything that was happening on board the yacht. We then headed for the southeast corner of the boundary of administration of Hong Kong, where we had planned an intercept by a hired pleasure craft crewed by marine police officers and narcotics bureau officers so that we would be able to overpower the people on board the yacht and if that was successful we would turn around and under the cover of darkness head back into Hong Kong in the end we went to Taitan Bay where we could conduct a search of the vessel once it was fully secured and under our control. So the idea was not to sail it down to Australia? No, the idea had never been to allow the vessel to leave Hong Kong waters. What we were hoping was that the arrested persons could be persuaded to turn Queen's evidence. That means basically to become a participating witness for the prosecution and for that, they were offered a deal that they would get a reduction in any sentence upon conviction. Now, we were lucky because they were told, well, you've just been arrested with 43 kilograms of drugs. You're looking at 25 to 30 years. Do you want to work for us? And they eagerly agreed, which meant that we were able to create a batch of fake drugs from Plaster of Paris, and each block of Plaster of Paris had a hole drilled in it, and about 40 grams of pure heroin was then inserted, so that a possession of a block of Plaster of Paris was still containing a sufficient quantity of heroin to amount to a charge of trafficking. And those blocks of Plaster of Paris and the arrested people were all then flown down to Australia and held in a safe house for the time it would have taken the yacht to sail to Australia, which we worked out would be about seven weeks. They then telephoned the distribution syndicate in Australia and said, oh, we've arrived. Would you like us to hand over the drugs? And that was done under Australian Federal Police surveillance. And the drugs were put into a bag with recording devices and also fluorescent powder in every block of Plaster of Paris. 
and Chinese voices were heard. Great excitement that they'd suddenly got their hands on 40-odd kilos of heroin. They broke open one of the blocks of plaster of Paris to test it, and there was much dismay that they were all covered in um, fluorescent powder. <laughs> and that the Australian Federal Police then kicked down the door and arrested them all. Uh, interesting. So it was a real sort of uh, cooperation. But let's get back to you on the yacht, because I think uh, while you've you know explained that the operation was thankfully successful, um, I'd like to hear more about that night. So you've you know you've headed out. Um, you are about to be intercepted by. Uh, as you say, this mix of uh, Marine Police and Narcotics Bureau officers are aboard a pleasure craft. But can you say just, you know, once you're aboard, how things then played out? It was a little bit squally, a few white caps on the waves, but not too bad. As darkness started to fall, we could see a pleasure craft coming in. It would have gone down our port side and it was inbound back towards Hong Kong. As it drew level with us on our beam, you could see a group of Europeans on board who were shouting and waving and making out like they'd had a good time. But I could recognise they were our lot. And in fact, the vessel was being skippered by a chief inspector, Les Bird, who at the time was in charge of the small boat unit and he'd been brought in specifically for that task. I was in the cockpit of the Wii. Um, the principal had gone down below into the cabin. The pleasure craft did a sharp turn around our stern and come, started bearing in on us. So the bad guys on board started getting slightly alarmed. At that point, the pleasure craft actually hit us quite hard. We learned afterwards it was a twin-screwed vessel and that one of the propellers jammed full-on, which made it turn hard to starboard and hit the Wii. I then went jumping down into the main cabin where the principal was and started trying to arrest him. He was leaning forward over the sinks looking out the port at why this boat had hit us. And I started struggling with him and he really resisted. He had a eight-inch uh, clasp knife that he was sort of swinging behind him as I put my hands under his arms and behind his neck, and he was trying to stab me. Bill, who was the rugby player, the other officer, he'd stood up, tapped Kenny, the uh, bodyguard, on the shoulder and, and punched Kenny, and Kenny collapsed. So Kenny immediately had cable ties put on him. I'd knocked the wee into neutral as I went down into the main cabin. The skipper, who was the informant, um, obviously didn't need to be restrained. We then ran skull and crossbones up the main mast, um, which I'd brought along with me, which is why the front cover of the book, Operation Clinker, depicts the skull and crossbones to basically illustrate the fact that we had mutinied at sea. My thanks to Rod Mason, talking there on Operation Clinker. Rod has just published a book on that incredible drugs bust called Operation Clinker, Heroin Smuggling, available on Amazon and published by Austin McCauley. My thanks also to his then crewmate, Bill Rennick. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.